Welcome back to the Durst Show. Today we have a show that will alienate everybody. I'm talking about what should and shouldn't be taught or uh, encouraged in, in public schools, in public um, elementary schools and high schools. But I want to focus primarily on elementary schools and, and, and middle schools. So, so here's a summary. Um, the right wing wants prayer in the schools, Christian prayer, if they could get it, but they'll settle for what's called non-denominational prayer. But you got to pray to God, according to the right, every single day in school. But the last thing they want is any mention of sex or race. So, you know, that's the right wing position. Prayer, yes. Race, sex, no. The left has exactly the opposite view. Yes, race. We have to teach equity and diversity and inclusion. And uh, we definitely have to teach about sex and how important uh, transgender sex is and, uh, and how important it is to treat uh, people equally, which I completely agree to. Uh, the question is whether you do it in schools. Uh, but they don't want uh, <laughs> prayer in the schools. At least most of them don't. Some on the left do want prayer in the schools. Uh, for example, Mayor uh, Adams, who I generally admire and, and think well of, the mayor of, of New York, gave a speech the other day and said he wants to introduce prayer in the schools. And as far as the First Amendment is concerned, here's what he said. Don't tell me about no separation of church and state. Hey, Mayor Adams, I'm going to tell you about separation of church and state. It's in the Constitution. It's the first thing in the amendments to the Constitution, the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion in the Supreme Court. Over the years has interpreted that to mean, no, you can't have prayer in the public schools. Prayer is an establishment of religion. It's a preference for religion over non-religion. People say, well, we all like religion. No, no, that's not true. Uh, a very significant number of people in the United States don't believe in formal uh, organized religion. Um, a friend of mine has a shirt that says prayer doesn't do it for me. Uh, look, you're allowed to pray. That's fine. But you're just not allowed to pray um, as part of a formal exercise in school. You might say, oh, well, look, you can pledge allegiance, right? And the Pledge of Allegiance says unto God. Well, it shouldn't. Um, when I went to elementary school, we took the Pledge of Allegiance. It didn't say unto God. Eisenhower put that in during the Korean War uh, as if it would help us win the war. Um, uh, we didn't win that war, particularly, even though God was put uh, in the in the Pledge of Allegiance. So uh, I'm not in favor of sex in the schools. I'm not in favor of race in the schools and I'm not in favor of prayer in the schools. So I am completely consistent. I challenge my viewers to tell me if you're consistent. I bet you anything that most of you will say, no, we shouldn't have sex in the schools and we shouldn't have uh, race in the schools, but we should have prayer in the schools. Let's have prayer in the schools. Or we can make it non-denominational prayer. What the heck does non-denominational prayer mean? It means praying to God. That's already denominational. It means that anybody who's an agnostic or an atheist is a second-class citizen and is compelled or at least pressured into proclaiming the existence of God. Look, I had prayer in my school when I was in elementary school. Of course, I went to yeshiva. <laughs> we prayed all day. We prayed 
do it three times a day. I wrote my own prayer because I was a skeptic. You know, uh, every Jewish prayer begins with Baruch Ata Adonai. Blessed be you, our God. Baruch Ata Adonai. So I wrote my own little prayer. I said, Baruch Ata Adonai. Baruch Ata, show me why. Baruch Ata Adonai. Baruch Ata, maybe so. Baruch Ata, still not sure. So I was an agnostic when I was like, I don't know, 12. Well, I know it was before my bar mitzvah. I love the Bible. I love going to the synagogue. I love listening to the cantor sing. I love myself singing. It doesn't mean that I want to, in public school, proclaim my belief in God or any, any God. My mother went to public school. Um, probably, let's see, she was born in 1913. So she probably went to public school around 1920. And she was taught by um, um, an Irish Catholic a woman who she loved, who thought she thought was a wonderful teacher. And the Irish Catholic teacher, in order to teach my mother and the rest of her Jewish immigrant classmates, uh, Americanism taught them the, cap the, the Catholic mass in Latin. Until the day she died, my mother was able to recite the Catholic mass in Latin. She would love to show her friends. I know, Domine, Patre, whatever. I don't know it, but my mother knew it um, because in those days, they didn't care about separation of church and state. Learn the Catholic mass. That'll make you a better American. Of course it will. If you live in a you know highly Catholic neighborhood, it will make you fit in better. But the framers of the Constitution had a different view. In fact, Thomas Jefferson when he was asked what to put on his tombstone, didn't say president of the United States. He said writers of the Declaration of Independence and, and writer of um, the Virginia laws on, on liberty, which were laws against the teaching of, of religion or the compulsion of religion, the freedom to be non-religious. And he wrote a very interesting letter to his 17-year-old nephew. He had a very favorite nephew named Peter Carr, who was his uh, sister's uh, child and her sister's husband had died at a young age. So Thomas Jefferson was kind of in charge of Peter Carr's education. And he wrote him this long letter uh, in, 18, uh, in 1787, in which he laid out a curriculum for this young man. And it was, I wish every college in the country required this letter to be read by, by students because it lays out a curriculum which is brilliant, brilliant. It talks about, you know, how to read literature, how to read philosophy, and everybody should get it. Just go online, do Thomas Jefferson, Peter Carr, and you read the whole letter. and You'll see what a brilliant man Thomas Jefferson was. So he, he talks about uh, learning Italian, learning Spanish, learning moral philosophy, and then he comes to religion. Here's what he says. Religion. Your reason is now mature enough to receive this object. In the first place, divest yourself of all bias in favor of any singularity of opinion. In other words, keep an open mind. Question with boldness even the existence of God. Remember, Jefferson was a deist. He believed in God. He didn't believe in Christianity. He didn't believe in formal religion, but he believed in God. He believed that there was a moving force that created the universe and set it in motion. He was a deist. So question with boldness, even the existence of God, because 
because if there be one, he must more approve the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. In other words, he advised his nephew the exact opposite of this common fallacy that, oh, on a cost-benefit analysis, it's better to believe in God, because if there is a God and he exists, he'll praise you. And if there is no God, no harm, no foul. You've wasted a few hours. But if there is a God and you don't believe him or don't believe in him, you will go to hell. Jefferson says, no, 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 no. If there is a God, he's going to understand. He gave you reason. And reason gives you the ability to decide for yourself. Read the Bible, he says, as you would read Livy and Tacitus. Facts are within the ordinary course of nature. Believe, but those that are outside the course of nature question and dispute. If you find reason to believe there is a God, a consciousness that you are acting upon his eye and that he approves you, you will be vast additional insight. In other words, it would make your life better if you actually believed in God. But um, if you don't, um, God will approve of that. Uh, he says, finally, your own reason is the only oracle given to you by heaven. And you are answerable not for the rightness, but for the uprightness of the decision. You know, that's the kind of open-mindedness uh, we want. This is the framer of the Declaration of Independence. This is the second, third president of the United States. This is the man who President Kennedy once said when his cabinet assembled. This is the greatest assemblage of intellectuals since Thomas Jefferson sat alone in his room in the White House. So this is the lesson that was being taught to, to, to Peter Carr. And, and it's, it's a wonderful lesson. And uh, it's a lesson I taught to my, to my children and will talk to, to, to my students. Open-mindedness. Consider everything. Consider all the alternatives. Baruch atah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I'm an agnostic. I hope there's a God. I think there's a strong possibility there may be one, but I don't know. Uh, I can't tell. Um, don't try to prove God to me scientifically. That's not religion. Uh, if it's religion, it's based on faith. And if it's based on faith, it's unprovable. You can never prove the existence or non-existence of God. Um, I myself, I can't believe that something could have come from nothing. Big Bang Theory, I understand that. There was a little thing and then it became a big thing. Evolution, I understand that. Little protozoa became an elephant. That I can understand. What I can't understand is how something could come from nothing. I can't understand nothing. My mind can't get wrapped around the concept of nothing, of things that happen before anything. There's a, a great song in the Jewish tradition. It's called Adon Olam. Every Jew knows it. Uh, and, and what it says is there will be a God and there is a God. And there was a God, Beterem Kol, before anything. And there will be a God, Acharei Kichlota Kol, after everything. But what I can't understand is before anything and after everything. What is there if there's nothing? How do you imagine nothing? I once asked students in my college class on morality to write an essay on nothing, uh, on, on how do you describe nothing? And they all wrote about space. Space is not nothing. Uh, what about before space? What about before the Big Bang? So 
you know, the argument against God's existence is about as scientifically weak as the argument for God's existence. But that's not my point. My point is public schools are not designed for propaganda about race, sex, or religion. Let that be taught in the churches, in the synagogues, in the mosques. Let it be taught by your parents. Don't make school children make the kind of decision that Jefferson said that Peter Carr should make on his own using all of his reason. Mayor Adams, I have an idea. Instead of starting every school day by reading the Lord's Prayer or some other denominational prayer or by reciting the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, is different in the Jewish version, the Catholic version, and the Protestant version. Instead of doing that, what about starting every day by reading one of the amendments to the Constitution or one of the provisions of the Constitution? Start with the First Amendment. Congress will make no law respecting an establishment of religion or you know, stopping the free exercise thereof or uh, censoring freedom of speech or of uh, assembly. Uh, read that and then discuss it and, and, and discuss why we're not doing religion in school. We're not doing race. We're not doing sex. Go home. Ask your parents about transgenders and, and about gay sex. And if they want to talk to you about it, fine. If they don't want to talk to you about it, that's their prerogative. Talk to your parents about God. Uh, talk to your parents about religion. Go to church if you want to go to church. Don't go to church if you don't want to go to church. That's the American way. In the United States, we have freedom of religion and freedom from religion. Now, Mayor Adams goes even further, and he says, I'll try to find the quote, uh, where he says one of the most foolish things one can imagine, and that is, when we took prayer out of schools, guns came into schools. In other words, you got a choice. You got a choice. Either you're going to pray or you're going to have guns. Obviously, we all prefer prayer to guns, but it's a false choice. There's no relationship between prayer and guns. Uh, guns would come into the school if we prayed all day. Um, Prayer has nothing whatsoever to do with, we, we don't want guns in the school and I don't want prayer in the school. Maybe you want prayer in the school and write to me and tell me why we should have prayer in the school, why it's important. And if you have prayer, whose prayer? I'll never forget when I was a professor at Harvard, there was a woman, whose name was Susan Shapiro, I think. I may, I may have the first name wrong. She was like, I don't know, a 14-year-old kid. She went to public school in one of the suburbs of Boston and she was made to pray. And she said, no, uh, I'm a Jew. I believe in God, but I do not believe in public prayer. By the way, Jesus didn't believe in public prayer. Jesus has a provision in the New Testament where he says uh, he condemns those who stand by the window, by the door of the synagogue and show that they're praying. Prayer is it's private. So she refused to participate in public Prayer. That was the days when Massachusetts did have non-denominational prayer. And the teacher insulted her and, and punished her for it. And I had, to, I had to go to court, represent her, and get the school to change uh, their, their views. And when Massachusetts introduced non-denominational prayer, the way they did it was every day a different person would lead the prayers. And one day it would be a Catholic, 
One day it would be a Protestant. One day it would be a Jew. And of course, when the Jew was picked, he, they would ask, well, what kind of Jew are you? Are you an Orthodox Jew? Are you a conservative Jew? Are you a reformed Jew? Um, and what about if you're a Muslim? Are we going to have Muslim prayer in the schools? What about a Hindu? What about a Buddhist? What about somebody who believes in witchcraft or other kinds of religions that are not mainstream? Are we really going to encourage all those kinds of prayers uh, in the schools? Now, I have no problem in teaching a about religion. Religion is a very important phenomenon in life. You can't learn history without learning about the Hundred Year War, without learning about the Inquisition, without learning about the Crusades. What does crusade mean? It means Christ. Um, so of course you have to learn about things like that. But when you're learning history, you read history critically. Um, you don't learn that God exists, you learn that things were done in the name of God, mostly not very good things. The Crusades and the Inquisition were not things that the Catholic Church should be particularly proud of. In fact, they have formally apologized for both of that and for years and years and years proclaiming that uh, the Jews killed Jesus. I remember when I was a kid, some kids on the street uh, would come out of church and they point a finger at me or my friends and they say, you killed Jesus. And we always had an answer. We said, no, no, I was in the movies that night. I couldn't. I have an alibi. I couldn't have done it. It was somebody else. You know, it was a joke. But we were accused of killing Jesus. That was done in the name of, of religion. Uh, that isn't done anymore. Presumably, the church has uh, apologized um, for that. And for that misunderstanding of the New Testament, obviously Jesus was killed by the Romans and the crucifixion was provided by Roman law, not Jewish law. Uh, in any event, that's not the point. The point is religion is, is private. Religion is something that comes from deep in the, in the soul or in the mind. Um, and, and it's not appropriate to use it in public schools. Public schools are paid for by taxpayers, by Muslims, by atheists, by Buddhists and by Christians, and by Jews, and, and, and it, it doesn't belong in the school. Um, and, and you don't want to make kids in school feel like second-class citizens if they're not religious, or if they are religious and don't believe in public prayer. Um, when my, one of my kids was, um, went to school in California for one year, and when they recited the pledge, he refused to say unto God, uh, I don't know whether he believed in God or not. I didn't really ever question my children about that. Um, you know, they came to synagogue. We celebrated Passover. We celebrated various holidays, but we never had the theological discussion. Um, uh, in fact, even growing up in an Orthodox Jewish family, it was rare that we ever talked about God. We did, you know, we ate kosher food. We we put on our tefillin and our talis and uh, our yarmulke. We did all the things, but, you know, theological discussions about God weren't particularly uh, central to the religion I grew up with. But um, the home, the church, among friends, that's where you learn about racial injustice. That's where you learn about uh, differences based on sex. That's where you learn about, around, about religion, uh, school. Geometry, trigonometry, 
history, geography, uh, computer sciences, economics. That's all fine. But I don't want my teachers teaching my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. Hopefully we'll have some. Um, uh, propagandizing them, whether to believe in God, whether to believe in in um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's an individual choice. It, it, it should not be mandated any more than during the McCarthy period, uh, loyalty oaths were mandated. You had to put your hand to God and swear that you didn't support communism or socialism. I didn't support communism or socialism, but I'll be darned if I would ever take an oath to a school board uh, about that. When I went to Brooklyn College, there were uh, loyalty oaths uh, and there were teachers. And today there are loyalty oaths. You have to swear that you support diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you don't, you're not going to get a job. Um, you're not going to get promoted. Uh, I don't see much of a difference conceptually between taking an oath to diversity, inclusion, and equity, or taking an oath to God or a particular God. Um, it's just not the right thing to do when it comes to government. And we know that public school is, is government. So read Thomas Jefferson um, at the beginning of the school day. Read the letter of Thomas Jefferson to Peter Carr. I'm all okay with that. Read anything that you can argue about and quarrel about and disagree with. But the one thing you don't want to have an argument about in seventh grade is whether the Catholic God, the Protestant God, the Jewish God, or the Muslim God is the, is the true God. Um, you know, the one disadvantage of monotheism is that it, it uh, makes you believe in one God. And then the question is, which one? Who? Who's God? Is Jesus God? Is Allah God? Is Jehovah God? Um, if you're a monotheist, you can't believe in all of them. So you're going to end up arguing with each other. Uh, you know, we are the most divided country, certainly in my 84 years of life. We're divided over race. We're divided over gender. We're divided over ideology. Do we really, really want to divide over religion now in the schools? Because that's what's going to happen. If you start having prayer in the schools again, you're going to have divisions over religion. Who's prayer? There is no such thing as non-denominational prayer. The Lord's prayer is not non-denominational. It's a Christian prayer. Shammai Israel is not non-denominational. It's a Jewish prayer. Allah Akbar is not non-denominational. <clears throat> and by the way, non-denominational prayer, if you try to write a prayer that's so barren of meaning that just talks about some abstract deity, it's, it doesn't satisfy anybody. It's not the kind of prayer I want. If I want prayer, like to have real Jewish prayer. I um, mean, I like the Jewish prayers. <clears throat> and uh, I don't want somebody writing a non-denominational prayer for me or for my children. So Mayor Adams, continue to be a good mayor in New York. Um, try to stop crime better than you've been doing up to now. But don't, don't go backwards in time. Don't start introducing prayer into 
uh, public schools, keep the guns out, keep the prayer out, keep the sex out, keep the um, uh, uh, equity and, and diversity out, teach students how to think, teach students subjects that will make them successes in their life. Every student should know computer technology today. They don't have to know uh, prayers. So um, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity eliminator. I want to eliminate prayer. I want to eliminate sex. I want to eliminate um, uh, race as elements of public school teaching. Love to hear your views on all these subjects. I doubt that anybody will agree with me, but hey, that's my job to stimulate conversations and to stimulate disagreement. And that's exactly where we're going now to the disagreements over what I've said in the past. Dershowitz opposes Trump's speech about being peaceful and making your voice heard. Tells you all you need to know. No, I wasn't opposed to that. What I was opposed was to President Trump uh, basically saying that the election was stolen and that he was the legitimate president and not going to the inauguration and not uh, conducting an orderly transition the way every previous president had done, including Al Gore, who I believe won the election. And uh, but he was willing to accept the Supreme Court decision on that. Uh, okay, here's one. He won't have to be nominated again because he has been the president all along. Well, if he has, then he can't run again. You only get two terms. And there are a few letters that, um, um, that uh, here. There's plenty of proof that he won 80% of the vote in all 50 states. I mean, come on, you're making it up. There is no such proof. It didn't happen in all 50 states. Yeah, in California, in New York, in Massachusetts. Come on, he got nothing in those states. He didn't even campaign in those states. But this idiot, um, uh, Fish Sticks, is willing to say there's proof that he won 80% of the vote in all 50 states. All 50 states. Not 48, not 49. All 50 states. What a jerk. Woo! Okay. Let's look at some other jerks and some other non-jerks. Um, Trump is the actual president. Biden is a counterfeit. Uh, dirt bag, degenerate, fake Jew, Satanist, Ben Pederast. That's me again. Um, okay. Um, current president is Trump. I got so many of those things telling me who the president is that I'm just mistaken when I uh, think that Biden is the president. Uh, if you knew that the election of this is a good one, if you knew that the election of a Democrat to the White House in 2024 would assure that Iran got a nuclear weapon, would you still vote for the Democrat? No, I would not. To me, that's a, a deal breaker. Um, I don't want a president who's going to allow Iran, the most dangerous tyranny in the world, um, to um, have a nuclear bomb. No, I would not vote for anybody who, who, who supported that. Okay. You still want to lower the age for consensual sex? Of course I do. So do most feminists. Uh, the age of 18 is absurd. We're the only country in the world that has 18. Uh, most countries 16, some countries 15. Uh, you have to look at when sex actually starts between teenagers. And you don't want to have a law that totally departs from, from reality, because then what happens is you get millions and millions of felons who violate the law, and then it's up to prosecutors and police to decide who to prosecute. And for years, when the age of consent was 18, the only people prosecuted 
were 18-year-old black young men who were having sex with 17-year-old white young women. That was the criteria. And when I wrote my original article back, I don't know, 20 years before I met Epstein, um, um, that was the feminist view. The feminist view was if you're old enough at 16 or 17 to have an abortion, you surely are old enough to make a decision about sex. So many feminists wanted to lower the age of consent to the age of consent for having an abortion. That was a view that I took. It's a view I still take. And it's a view that most uh, feminists and, and liberals have taken over the years. And it's, it's the correct view. And it's nothing to do with um, sexual misconduct of any kind. We're talking about making the law reflect reality. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, so to combat how universities are subverting the attempts to stop their biased admission methods, would you favor legislation that would apply to all government-funded institutions requiring them to have measurable admissions criteria? The penalty for not complying would be the loss of state funding. Yes, I would. I would give schools a lot of discretion to determine how to define measurable admissions context, but they have to be measurable. They have to be subject to accountability and uh, not to manipulation. And um, so, yeah, I think that would be a good thing. And I would think it would improve um, um, the, the way in which college admissions work and it would improve the, the quality of college admissions. Um, okay, Professor Dershowitz, it just occurred to me based on another encounter, you should pursue a podcast or at least pundit position on the Daily Wire. I love you and I love the Daily Wire. It would be a great contrast of liberal. Yeah. You know, we don't have enough of that. I used to debate uh, Bill Buckley a lot. He was my favorite conservative. I was his favorite liberal. We used to have these debates and it would be great to have me on the wire and to have the people on the wire on, you know, my show or liberal shows. This idea of respectful debate between people who are who represent moderate points of view, moderate liberals versus moderate conservatives. That's the kind of debate we need to have. Um, I recently had a very good debate um, about uh, Israel's uh, judicial reforms with a guy I fundamentally disagree with, but we had a good debate. We shook hands afterward and we continue to disagree, but we continue to disagree in a respectful way. Um, here's one we'll end with. So what's wrong with letting everyone into college? They might shine despite their academic history. Let the meritocracy begin out of the work world. Um, the market will determine who is the greatest achievers. It's an interesting point of view. That How do you decide uh, which 2,000 students to admit to Harvard? Um, you have to have a basis for doing it. You can't say everybody gets into every college they want. I actually had a colleague at Harvard who did say we ought to admit by random. Anybody can apply, and then we'll do a lottery. Uh, but you know that would mean all colleges would be essentially equal. And then how do you pick the professors? Um, interesting. Let, let's explore all of these issues. The one thing that should not be a factor in admission ever under any circumstances is race, religion, gender. All of that should not be permitted. Um, define meritocracy any way you want to define it, but let's get to meritocracy because that's what makes America great, what makes universities great. Meritocracy, not identity politics. See you next week. Mm -hmm.